Revelation chapter 22. This is it. This is the final, the final passage we're going to read. Now, before we read this scripture, we're going we're gonna to start at verse 10. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, I want to say something to you. And this is going to summarize what we're going to teach tonight. So I want to make sure you get this. Jesus is coming. Okay. Jesus is coming. Amen. Yeah. So that's where the main thing I want you to get. And then now I'm going to spend 30 minutes telling you why I want you to get that. Okay. So, uh, but you'll be able to leave here tonight saying, when someone says, what was the sermon about? You'll be able to say, Jesus is coming. It was the first time I summarized the whole sermon in three words. So Jesus is coming. All right, let's go ahead and get into the scripture here. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still be do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may be, have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root of, and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We just pray that you give us understanding. Teach us now. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would transform us into the likeness of your son. Holy Spirit, we pray for conviction. We pray, Lord, that we would not leave the same as we came, but we'd be even more mature, looking more like you, ready to do your work. Lord, I pray that we take the words of this book bound in leather and turn it really into shoe leather so that we can be faithful with your words. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. I uh, <clears throat> was doing a study as we were getting ready to end Revelation and finish this book. And we'll be, we'll be going to actually, the next book we're going to be doing will be Genesis. So we're going to spin around to Genesis and, and uh, start looking at Genesis and tackling some of the, the different things in, in Genesis. Uh, so that will be exciting. We'll, we're going to have uh, probably at least one week of, a, a, I want to do a, one topical study before we jump into Genesis. But... But uh, as I was getting ready to close this, I was thinking about it. And, you know, I think our culture, the church culture today in 2016 has gotten a little gun shy. We've gotten a little bit of a weary or even sometimes scared in talking about Jesus coming. 
And the reason why is because we look back at our history and we've seen lots of people who have falsely predicted the coming of Christ. And, of course, we, we also look and see it's, it's, we've, we've got 2,000 years under our belt where Jesus hasn't come yet. Well, I want to hopefully encourage you tonight that you will not be gun shy. You, you, you won't be afraid to tell people Jesus is coming. Because the fact is, that's not only the view of the early church, it's the view in the New Testament, to think that Jesus could come at any moment, I need to be ready. But, but we see that that's the view that God wants us to have. That's the view that Jesus wants us to have. Throughout, throughout the centuries, we've seen false predictions of, of Jesus' return. Uh, in, starting in 500, we had some of the early, early church writers and theologians writing about Jesus coming back and predicting dates. And In fact, they actually used Noah's Ark and the dimensions of Noah's Ark to say why Jesus was going to return in 500 uh, A.D., well, of course he didn't. And then you can go through a long list of, of people who have predicted. And, of course, in more recent years, as far as the 1800s, the, here in America, we had the Millerite movement. And uh, Miller decided, William Miller decided that Jesus was going to come back. And in 1833, he announced that Jesus was coming back in 1843. And this Millerite movement spread around the country. It was a very popular movement. In fact... The Seventh-day Adventist church was born out of it because uh, uh, Ellen White's family was part of the movement. They were excited for Jesus coming back uh, and waiting for him to come back. But Jesus didn't come back that day. In fact, nowadays it's referred to as the great disappointment. Sad part is it's Miller's disappointment, not at all Jesus' disappointment. And then, of course, Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness Church, he predicted that... Um, Jesus was coming in 1874 through his Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And he was publishing documents saying, Jesus is coming, 1874, get ready. And Jesus did not come. Well, thankfully he, he thought about it more and he said that, you know what, he did come. It was just the invisible coming. And, uh, and, and we're going to move forward here. He tried to save himself. And then especially more recent times, we've, we've seen the billboards recently of, uh, of the predictions that Jesus was coming in 2000, uh, Harold Camping in 2011 was predicting that uh, uh, May 21st, 2011 would be, the, uh, uh, sorry, he predicted that it would be October 21st that Jesus was coming and of course it didn't happen. I, was, I remember driving on the freeway that day and seeing the billboard and go, whoops, <laughs> you know, <laughs> missed that one. And, uh, but we've seen all these people talk about it. it well, yeah, I almost forgot, in 1988, uh, there was a book published, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. How do you get 88 reasons wrong? 88 things, not even one of them was right. But we get, we get kind of, we don't want to get lumped in as Christians. We're like, I don't want to get lumped in with those crazies or those people who misinterpreted the time. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to fall into this camp either. I'm going to let you know Jesus is coming as to when he is coming that is not for me to know the day or the hour. That is only for, the, for our Heavenly Father to know. And that will, be, that will be, eventually we'll figure it out too. But don't throw off this idea that we can just keep putting it off. Because the fact is, is the scriptures, Jesus' own words wants us to know that we should be ready at any moment for his return. 
Sadly, though, some people think, okay, well, I'm ready for Jesus to come back, so I'm just going to just do whatever I want and throw off any responsibility, throw off anything and charge up the credit cards. Listen, that's not a Christian attitude either. We don't, we don't, we don't say, <laughs> I have no responsibility now. In fact, actually tonight as we're going to look at this passage, there's three things I want you to get out of this passage. One, that as Christians in expectation of Jesus' return, we should be ready. Two, we should be obedient. And three, we should be confident. And so I want to talk about those three things. But let's look at a couple of the passages before we get into those three things. First off, Jesus gives us the last and final beatitude in this, in this passage. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And, of course, if you have a New, New King James, it's a little bit of a different translation. It says, blessed is the one who's obedient. But the, the idea is the same. Those who, who are worthy to enter are happy and blessed. And how are we made worthy? Well, only through Jesus Christ. That is the only way we can have our robes washed. I can't help but think of that passage in Zechariah where Joshua, the high priest, is standing before the Lord. And Satan, the accuser, is there in the book of Zechariah. And, and Satan is accusing Joshua, the high priest, saying, this man is not worthy to be in front of you. And God says, okay, hey, strip off his dirty robes. Put on a clean robe. Clean up this guy. And only God was able to make Joshua clean. And that's the same for us. We, we have this, this time, this, that we, we are fortunate enough to enter into God's kingdom through grace. And during this time of grace, to be conformed to his image. To start to look like him more and more. Not to continue on in the characteristics that we've always been in. These sinful characteristics. In fact, the very next par uh, paragraph here says, Blessed are those who, or sorry, um, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. Outside of the people that are characterized by these sinful traits. Now, of course, we know that, that literally outside is the burning lake of sulfur, right? Jesus is letting us know that. But we have an opportunity now. Sorry, I've got to fight the wind a little bit here. Um, we have an opportunity now to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. We have an opportunity to be delivered from our sin through the power of God's grace. I wonder, are you submitting yourself to the power of God's grace or are you just continuing on in your sin? John warns us, whoever walks in darkness and says they have fellowship with him deceives themselves. And the truth is not in them. You see, Christians... Every day we're supposed to be conforming ourselves more and more to his likeness. It's not a finished work. It's not a, I said a prayer and now, boom, I'm walking on water. It's not like that. You and I are under construction. God has began a good work in you. He will see it through to completion. But daily we need to be submitting ourselves to the Son, to his Holy Spirit, saying, Lord, teach me, show me. Sadly, we settle into our routines, we settle into our personalities, our sinful behaviors, and then we start justifying them. That's, that's absent of God's grace. That's not God's grace in your life. That's not the power of his grace. The power of God's grace is to deliver you. Listen, when you see sin in your life, don't be content with it. Be disturbed by it. 
let yourself be brought to a place of repentance, turn from it, and ask God, what do you want me to do? How, do, how should I, what should I do? If I'm not to lie anymore, what should I do? Tell the truth. Okay, I'm going to tell the truth. If I'm not to steal anymore, what should I do? Don't steal. Right? Go work. If, I, if I'm not to, to do this, what am I doing? God's word always teaches us. If I'm not to be lazy anymore, what should I do? Go work. Go serve the Lord. So I want to encourage you not to be caught up with this group that's outside the gates, but while it is while we have this day, this period of grace before the great tribulation starts, let God's grace transform you and deliver you from sin. And and you're saying, well, well, I just want it to be over with. You know, we have this mentality, the the get it now mentality. I want to, I want, I just want it to be done. Just I'll pay for it and fix it or whatever the case is. But it's not the way it works. It's a continual submission. It's continually throwing ourselves at the grace of Christ and letting him change us from the inside out. Notice Jesus says, I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Uh, Obviously his claim to the throne of David and then the bright morning star. What is the bright morning star there for? Well, it's a term used of Jesus in the Old Testament. But here's what the whole thing is. It is the herald of the new day. That's what, that's what the term is referring to. The one who's heralding that new day. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, understand this. We have a promise of a new day. And we should be looking forward to that new day. Not, not, not constantly going, man, this is, life is terrible. Oh, I don't know. You know, always discontent and unsatisfied. No, we should know that Jesus Christ holds the future. He will do what he says he'll do. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. So let's talk about this whole idea of being ready, obedient, and confident. First of all, we saw earlier in this chapter that Jesus told us to bless is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And, and last week we talked about what that meant to keep the words. That means to, to actually trust and obey what Jesus t- tells us and what the words of this book mean. God's word is given to you not so you can feel guilty, but so that you can be saved. That's why his word is there for you. God's word is not there to make you feel bad and keep you in a state of you're not good enough. God's word is to, to bring you out of that state, to transform you. That's what his word is for. So let it do that power in your life. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24 real fast for a minute. I'm going to turn there here. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42. And uh, Jesus had had been telling his disciples about his second advent. And in verse 42 he says this. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would, have let his hou- and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Throughout the scriptures, we have Jesus' second coming referred to uh, throughout the, in the New Testament as a thief coming in the night, that we should be ready. And here Jesus himself says, hey, here's, here's a good illustration for you to understand this. If the master of the house would have known at what time the thief was coming, he would have been up and ready. Now, and, and I don't want you to, to get the wrong idea because we recognize that thieves are evil. 
Jesus is not to be compared with a thief doing something evil, but it's about the expectation. It's about, the, it's about knowing that, hey, a thief is coming, am I ready? Uh, we have a, a man here in the church, John Schroeder, and many of you know him. He's uh, been being plagued by thieves uh, for the last couple of years. We've been praying for him. And if you remember, please pray for John Schroeder. He owns property out in Barstow. He's got 60 acres out there. And we do all of our men's retreats out there. And he, he's had this problem because thieves come and they break into his containers. They've stole uh, thousands of dollars in, in stuff quads and he's kind of, he went out and painted Bible verses on all of his containers hoping that that would bring some conviction to these thieves. But sure enough, after this last men's retreat, uh, the following week, his property was hit again and they broke into all the stuff and stole everything. And um, when I hear about it, when the other men in the church hear about this, we all go, man, I, I wish we could just be out there when those guys are there and catch them in some way. And, 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 or we could be like staking out the property. But the problem is they have time. They have all this time to come and, and, and steal. And, and it's frustrating to us. And, and we're put in a place where we're like, well, well, what about this? And we've all been kind of giving them problem-solving ideas and solutions on how we could stop this. And there's no power out there, no electricity. If you call the police, it might take three hours for them to actually get out there and take the report. So it's just like, oh. And uh, recently he believes that the guy who's been kind of stealing everything showed up on his property when he was there. And he, he talked to him. Of course, he, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm turned around out here. And he had two kids with him. Um, but uh, anyway, he's been dealing with this thievery. And the fact is, is if, if only we could get that thief to send us an email or, or shoot us a text. Hey, I'm going to be coming and robbing your place tomorrow night at, at, at 5 o'clock I'm going to start. Oh, we would be stoked. We, okay, let's call the police. We'll have them out there tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. We'll be ready. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not going to be here in Orange County. We'll be there waiting for the thief. But that's not the way it works. That's the reason why thieves get away with stuff. Because they take things unexpectedly. They steal unexpectedly. We don't know they're coming. And so when Jesus warns us to be ready, like, like the thief, be ready for a thief, he's saying that we should be Vigilant, ever expectant of his return. Not, uh, sorry, I lost my place here. Not just, just going about our normal routine, acting like it's never going to happen. But, but, but be ready for the Son of Man, for his coming. He's coming at an hour you do not expect. Listen, this is what the early church believed. This is what we should believe. This is what the apostles taught. And is there any disadvantage to believing that Jesus could come now, tomorrow, the next day? Not at all. In fact, I believe if we really thought about this, if we really lived that Jesus was coming, I think we would choose to do things differently in the day, wouldn't we? We, we would start thinking like, man, do I really want to be doing this? Uh, do I really want to be watching this right now? Or do I want to be investing in God's kingdom? Do, do I really want to skip my devotions today? Do I, I mean, we would be preparing ourselves much better. I, I think about all these preppers. They're always prepping and, and saving up for the end of the world or, or the, you know, the solar flares or whatever. I like watching shows about these things. And, um, and then they get a score at the end of the show on uh, the preppers. And, you know, they get right on how much food they have and how many months they can survive off the grid or whatever the case is. And, and I thought about that and I was like, man, I wonder what my score would be like in prepping for the Lord's coming. Like, how would I do, you know, okay, on a score of 1 out of 10 uh, on, 
on focus, you, you, you got a five, Dave. You're, you need to focus a little bit more on this. and prepare. I would love to get that scorecard and go, okay, i got to work on this and work on that. I'd love that. Well, you know what? God has given me a bit of a scorecard, or at least he's given me a rule. He's given me the instruction book. It's right here. Just got to open it and read it and soak in it and chew on it and just invest in it. I, I think uh, if, if we really thought about the thief coming or Jesus' return all the time, it would, it, would, it would end up being a different result in how we live our lives. So one thing about Jesus, uh, the book of Revelation is he wants us to be ready. No question. Three times in this chapter he says, behold, I am coming soon. The interesting part is that I am coming in the Greek is not in the future tense. It's actually in the present tense. Greek is uh, uh, an inflected language. And so you, you can find out how many people and, and what tense a verb is in and all that just from, from how the word structure is. And I thought it was interesting as I was reading this in, in the Greek, that the fact that it's, it's all in the present tense. I will, I, I am coming. I don't even know how to translate it into English, something future but in the present tense. But th- this idea that I need to be ready in the present, right now I've got to be ready for his return, not apathetic. Remember back to those early, the, the, the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia. We don't want to be apathetic. We want to be ready and holding to God's word. The second thing is being obedient. Our readiness should change about our lives. It, it should it conform us more to his likeness. It should transform us. The second part is obedience. Obedience to what? Let's look at back at Matthew 24 here and, and just read a little bit farther. Matthew 24 and verse 45, it says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Bible gives warnings, they're like really harsh warnings. <laughs> There's nothing gentle or pulling punches. And I, I think it's important about the warnings that we recognize that God doesn't want us to lose, lose out on this. He doesn't want us to miss out. He wants us to be with him. The whole Bible is, is all about God redeeming this lost creation. It's about breaking the curse. That's what the scripture is all about. So here he gives this second parable story about a, a, a man, a servant, who's expected to serve, to invest in the kingdom. Did, 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 did Jesus give us any sort of command about doing something while he was gone? I'm trying to remember what it was. He told us to do something. He had something to say. Oh, that's right. That's right. Go forth, preaching the gospel, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I, I have commanded. Make disciples. <laughs> it couldn't get any simpler. But why is it so hard? He left us with a simple command. Make disciples. Go make disciples. And, and you know what the best part about it is? 
we get part, made part of this ministry of reconciliation with the whole world. The church fails in apathy. It completely fails. You know what the church becomes in apathy? A, a social club, a hanging out. We, and we become, we become awesome entertainment critics too, by the way. When, when we're apathetic. When we're apathetic as a church, we're like, okay, well, you know, the worship was okay, but I didn't like that part. Oh, I didn't like that. Oh, I didn't like that. Oh, you know, the coffee th- tonight was terrible. Do you? And what's up with the broken AC and the, the dim bulb and da da da, da and, uh, You know, <clears throat> man, I'm going I'm, I'm to go to, I want a nicer, you know, the pews weren't comfortable enough. And, I mean, we become these, these apathetic critics that are worth nothing to the kingdom. We're lazy. And, and, and what we become about is not about being a life-saving station, of a place where we're bringing the sick, the hurting, the sinners in to be transformed and hear the word of God, be changed and washed in the word. But we become a place where we're like, oh, you know, maybe we could get some lazy boys in here. And, uh, you know, is there any chance we could get maybe some people that, we'll, we'll call them deacons, but to come in, bring in coffee on a tray and uh, we could place an order for our, our non-fat decaf hot latte, whatever. Um, you know, that we don't want to be that kind of church that is focused on me or you. We don't want to be the servant who's so busy with his social schedule and hanging out with his friends. He's going out partying, saying, okay, the, you know, the master's coming, but it will be later on. It, it's, it's not coming. He's not coming now. We don't want to be that servant. I mean, just, just think for an instance. And Lord willing, this doesn't happen. But let's say you get in your car tonight and you exit this parking lot. And you turn, turn left on Cambridge and you turn left on Tustin. And as you're pulling out of Tustin, someone doesn't see you and they crash into you. And you expire. You go before the Lord. Were you ready to meet him? Were you ready to meet him? Whether Jesus is coming in his second advent or I'm going to him... I need to be ready. Danny Loya had that heart attack a couple months ago. And, man, he wasn't ready. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, I sure wasn't expecting that call, phone call in the morning from Felicia. She wasn't ready for it. Pr- praise God he got this. The, uh, God answered these prayers, healed him. He's back with us today. But... But we certainly didn't think that, oh, tonight could be, Danny's probably going to go meet the Lord tonight. Nobody thought that. It was a surprise. Listen, we should be ready as Christians, ready to meet our Lord. Whether he comes for us or we go to him, we should be ready. So a, a good servant is an obedient one. He's ready. He's obedient. He's fulfilling the master's plan. What is the master's plan? Well, to feed Look at what it says, to feed the servants. He says, hey, I've set you over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Who are you feeding? You know, some of you guys, if you're Ken Stice, he's like, well, I got four kids, they're teenagers, three teenagers, and man, they eat a lot, you know. So uh, I don't know, I thought I saw him earlier, but maybe he's not here anymore. Oh, he's there, yeah. So... So, see, Ken, that's why we had them all four years apart, so we only have like one teenager at a time. So, um, but uh, yeah, we want to be ready to feed them. Are you feeding people? Are you making disciples? 
You know, oh, yeah, I don't know if I'm a, I'm not a real good Bible study person. Listen, God's only asking you to pour out what he's pouring into you. That's it. You don't have to be, somebody came to me recently and said, I want to start a Bible study at my house. I'm like, awesome. They're like, well, what do I need to do? Well, well, probably be about a month ahead of the other people in, the, in, in your Bible study. <laughs> you know, just be a few chapters ahead. That would be good, you know. I, well, you don't have to be a theologian, okay. Just pour out what God's pouring into you. Feed, feed the household. That's what God wants you to do. All right, the last thing that I want to I want to hit on tonight is uh, in, in this is being confident, being confident in His return, being confident that He will do all that He says He will do. Look at look at this passage here. Jesus said, Jesus said that I want. Um, he, he gives us warnings, and the whole point of this warning is that we'd be ready. Notice the invitation here in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Or with, without price. Um, the, the idea here, there's three invitations. This is so interesting. First of all, it says the spirit. Who? The spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And the bride, the church, are all saying, come. Here's the invitation. It's for you. If you're in this room tonight and you're not a part of Christ's church, the spirit and this church is saying, come. Come to the Lord. And here's what the invitation is. The, the one who hears, we're saying, come. If you can hear with your ears that Jesus is Lord and respond to that, come. Come. Get, get these new robes put on you. Be welcomed into the kingdom. If you're thirsty, come and drink. Have part of it. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. God says those who, are, who can hear, come. Well, first of all, there's the call out to come. Then those who hear, those who are thirsty, and those who desire, come. Everything will be given to you if you just come to Christ. So... And why is God so adamant in his invitation to us? And it's because of the fact that he doesn't want you to face judgment. He's calling you out of it. But it's also to us, we, we recognize those who have come, we recognize that the world isn't just going to go on forever in its injustice, in, in the things that it's doing. Sin isn't just going to reign forever in this world. No, Jesus Christ is going to reign. And eventually we'll have the new heavens and the new earth. I want to point out to you something that we briefly looked at last week, but um, we didn't totally get into. Genesis 1, we have an introduction in Genesis 1, and it introduces God creating the heavens and the earth. Revelation closes with God creating a new heaven and a new earth. Genesis 1, the sun is created. In Revelation 21 and 22, we find that there's no need for a sun, but the lamb, the father and the lamb are the light for the whole new environment. Genesis 1, the night is distinguished from the day as God makes the cycles. Um, in, in the end, there's no night. There's only light. In fact, that's what we read last week, that there's no more night. Genesis chapter 1 says the seas are created. In Revelation 21, we read that there's no sea. In Genesis 3, the curse is announced. Man, that curse. Boy, has it plagued me since the day I was born. And you too. It's plagued this world. But in Revelation 22, the announcement, there shall be no more curse comes. It's awesome. In Genesis, after the fall of man, we have death enter into history. In Revelation 22, we're told there's no more death. 
In Genesis, a man is driven from the tree of life and the paradise of God. In Revelation 21 and 22, paradise is restored. The tree of life is restored in the new Jerusalem. And in Genesis, sorrow and pain begin. In the new heaven and the new earth, the last chapters of the book, there's no more sorrow, pain, death, tears. It's over. And we have this new paradise. So although there's similarities in this, this whole recreation thing, there's a lot of major differences. And part of that is the curse being broken, access to the tree of life, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. All these things are coming to an end. And, and God has a purpose for all these things. So we can be confident that God won't let these things just continue on. Se- turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16. 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. It fell out of my Bible, I think. Here. There it is. Okay. Second Thessalonians. I'm sorry, chapter 3 and verse 16. Uh, now, let me, before we read this, I want to kind of give you an idea of what's going on here in the book of Second Thess. In Second Thessalonians, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church because they had received a forged letter. They received this letter from somebody saying they had missed the coming of Jesus. They totally missed it. I mean, remember I said that lots of people have predicted the coming of Jesus. Even in the early church, it was happening. And, and someone had read a let, wrote a letter uh, saying it was from Paul or something. It, it seems like they said it was from Paul and the rest of the apostles. And they had said that Jesus had come back. You all missed it. Too bad for you. So the church was really upset. Like, how do we miss this thing? Thankfully, we have the book of Revelation. We know that there's no way we're going to miss this. It will be evident, his coming. But Paul starts writing to them and he tells them, hey, listen, don't worry, you haven't missed it. First, the man of lawlessness, that son of perdition, the Antichrist has to come. And he explains more about end times things. But he doesn't spend a lot of time on it. Part of it, though, is in verse 16, he tells us what the, the purpose of knowing all these things and coming. It says this. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of the genuineness genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So the whole point is Paul writes this letter back to them is that they can have peace, not be robbed of it. God gives us his his word, his, this revelation, so that you and I can be confident. We can be, we can be confident that we can have this peace knowing that God hasn't forgotten me. God will work all these things out as, as he has planned. That, that, that I'll have peace at all times and in every way because the Lord is with me. For the Christian enduring hardship or the Christian enduring um, uh, persecution or, or whatever it may be, the circumstances that you may find yourself in that are hard, know this, that God is giving you his word so that you can have peace. And he's giving you this prophecy that you'll have peace. Knowing that, hey, this isn't just going to go on forever. My suffering, the persecution, whatever my situation is, it's all going to come to an end because Jesus is coming back. That's the point, that I have peace. Because I know Jesus is coming. He hasn't forgotten. It's not an accident. So the, um, 
we must be ready, we must be obedient, we must be confident. Lastly, Jesus says, he gives a warning about those who, who um, change this book, take from it, and it's a severe warning. And of course, those who are, are truly in him would never do such thing and they wouldn't be bold enough. Then, and then John says this, or uh, he writes, verse 20, he who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming soon. Look at what John's response is. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, I'm ready. I'm ready. Come. What's your response? If Jesus says, I'm coming soon, what's your response? <laughs> I, I praise. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I love it because in 2 Corinthians, Paul just ends the letter with Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Right, or Lord Jesus come is an Aramaic term. But this should really be the, 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 the prayer of our church. Lord, come. I'm ready for you. Last thing is, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. I want to end with this. This book, the book of Revelation, has the greatest contrast in the entire New Testament between those who are saved by grace, those who have received God's grace, and those who have rejected it. There's no greater contrast in the entire New Testament than this book of Revelation. Because in this book of Revelation, we see those who have continually rejected the grace of God and refused his invitation, refused his offer, refused to, to drink from him, refused the goodness of what he has to offer. Those end up going through this tribulation period and ultimately being judged and thrown into the burning lake of sulfur. Let me ask you this. Does the grace of the Lord Jesus go with you tonight? If it doesn't, I want to offer you the same invitation. Come. If the grace of the Lord Jesus isn't with you, please don't turn on, don't shut your ears off. Don't close your eyes. I, I couldn't be more urgent about this. Do not leave this place without having the grace of Christ, that transforming grace, that grace that is going to make you look more and more like him and especially ready for his coming. Don't leave without it. It's pretty simple. It's just saying, Lord, I want what you did for me. I recognize that you did the work. <laughs> you paid the price. There's nothing I can do. It's all what you've done for me and I'm ready to serve you and follow you. Forgive me for my sin, Lord Jesus. That's all you got to say. So don't leave without none. For the rest of you, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your words. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us this revelation that we can be expectant of your coming. You're not slow in coming. You're not putting it off. You're not procrastinating, Lord. But you're waiting. You're allowing us one more day to serve you. One more day to know you. And we thank you for that wonderful grace and patience and endurance that you give to us. Lord, we pray your blessing be on each and every one in here. And for those of you who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who haven't received that grace, you just pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from it now. I'm ready to follow you. I'm tired of playing games. I'm ready to, to know you and be your disciple. Thank you for what you've done on that cross for me. Lord, we thank you so much. We can't give you enough praise. We love you. And we say come. In Jesus' name, amen.